This is Graphic Interventions. Hello, I'm Harriet Atkinson, a historian of art and design and the host of this podcast series, Graphic Interventions. My focus in this series of interviews is on how political conversations are initiated, enlivened and made visible through the graphic form. In each episode, I interview one maker about one thing they've made, a poster, a banner, a zine, to discover why that thing came about, what it meant then and how it resonates now. In this episode of Graphic Interventions, I met Ben from Protest Stencil, a UK-based subvertising collective, who take over commercial advertising space in bus stops. They replace the glossy corporate posters you find behind Perspex-covered frames to bring forward political messages. Recent campaigns have been focused against Facebook, Trump, and towards justice for the victims of the Grenfell Tower fire. Ben and I met in the centre of Tavistock Square in London's Bloomsbury during a period in the lockdown when people could only meet outdoors. We may have chosen the noisiest spot in London. It turned out to be a route for emergency vehicles thundering past on their way to local hospitals. Ben started off by introducing himself and the collective. I'm Ben from Protest Stencil. Protest Stencil is a project that's been running about four, four and a half years now. Basically reclaiming advertising space from corporations and using that space for political messages. So the object I've brought is a poster. It's in sort of portrait format, six foot tall and four foot wide paper. And written on it in ink are the words, teach the truth about Britain's past. In a sort of like child's handwriting style font. The dots on the eyes in Britain look like poppies and they're made with spray paint. So they were stenciled with spray paint, red and black. At the top of the poster you'll see there's a fold. So the fold is where it was inserted in the rail at the top of a bus stop advertising cabinet is where these were displayed. There were several of them around London around Remembrance Day 2020. This has come to be a thing that I've done every year for a few years now, not really in a planned way, it just sort of happened, where each year as Remembrance Day approaches, it feels very obvious that Britain doesn't really want to remember and reflect on its true past. Britain wants to reflect on an imagined past of bravery and self-sacrifice, plucky little Britain fighting wars against greater powers. Not on a true past of Britain's imperial rampages around the world and its history of colonisation of many countries on the planet. And that always seems to become very apparent around Remembrance Day because there is this sort of erasure and this denial of the truth of Britain's militarism in the past and it feels like that plays forward today. It sort of is used to justify Britain's ongoing militarism. The official Remembrance Day commemorations look very militarised. We're here in Tavistock Square today which is actually the site of the alternative Remembrance Day commemorations that the Peace Pledge Union hold where they, with their white poppies, think about all the victims of war. The traditional commemoration is very much about Britain's soldiers who were killed. So this is the fourth iteration of these sort of poppy 
posters over years. So the first one was an image of a Star Wars Imperial Stormtrooper with a poppy on his uh, chest. The text was, wear your poppy with pride. And he was making that connection that actually British soldiers, if you were using a Star Wars analogy, British soldiers would often be the Imperial Stormtroopers. They wouldn't be the Resistance. They wouldn't be the Skywalker and Solo characters. They'd be the other guys. And then the second iteration, a year later was stop arming Saudi, stop arming Israel. And again with the O's replaced by poppies. And it was basically saying that if we really want to remember and reflect on Britain's past, maybe we should change some of our foreign policies today and stop arming Saudi Arabia that's using those arms to bomb people in Yemen, stop arming Israel that's using those arms to bomb people as we speak in Gaza. And then the following year's iteration was about the war on migrants and looking at Britain's ongoing immigration enforcement, whether it be online in the UK or whether it be in the Mediterranean or the Channel, where Britain is basically pushing back migrants, mainly from Britain's former colonial holdings, who seek to come to this country to reclaim some of the wealth that was plundered from their nations. And then this was the following year's one. So this sort of followed as well from the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, last year after the killing of George Floyd and following those and talking about Black History Month politicians they're basically trying to ban teachers from teaching what they call victim narratives about Britain's past. This was sort of reflecting that tension. There's an activist group called the Coalition of Anti-Racist Educators who are sort of fighting back against that and taking the government to court about this guidance. All is about sort of Britain's militarism and Britain's past and facing up to Britain's past and how well, if you look at what's happening in Palestine today, most British people have no understanding of Britain's connection with that and how Britain was the former occupying power there. And without knowing that history, you can't understand what's happening today. So it's all sort of tied together in that sense, hopefully. Although people just see our poster on the street, obviously they don't necessarily get all of that. I was going to ask you about the form of a poster as the chosen medium yeah. for that message. So what is it about this form that works, do you think? I think this form works in several ways. In Notwithstanding whatever the political message is of any particular poster, it's also talking about public space and who owns public space. So you go around London, you're constantly bombarded with messages from corporations trying to get you to buy something. And there's no real public discussion about how they have all this space. The subvertising movement, of which there are many people worldwide, seeks to reclaim that space and basically replace those advertising messages with art or with political messages. So it sort of works on that format. And it also works in the sense of it's very surprising to people. As they're walking along in their daily lives, they, they barely consciously notice all of these adverts. And then suddenly they see something that doesn't look quite right. And it's like, this is not an advert. This is not trying to sell me anything. And it looks official because it's behind the glass. People double take in the street. People stop in the street, take photos of it, share it on social media, because it sort of jolts them. So I think that jolt is the thing. And even not in real life, even seeing the things on social media seem to give people that jolt where this thing that's in a, what is thought of as an official space is carrying very unofficial like messaging. So there is something 
very potent and specific about taking over commercial advertising space, yeah. I guess. But then also something about these very specific spaces and their connection with a global struggle. Yeah, I think it is very interesting and often... So, for example, referencing the killing of George Floyd last year, very soon after that, under the American flag at the new U.S. Embassy in Battersea, there's a bus stop. And so we placed a poster in that bus stop that says justice for George Floyd. So people have that image as they're coming past there of justice for George Floyd with this towering, enormous American flag above it. You know, whatever struggles we're talking about, there's often either a company or an embassy or a location that is related to that struggle. So often the posters are placed in very site-specific locations and then people sort of understand from the images, either in real life or online, from seeing the images of the poster in the location. It tells them a story in their heads, I think. I think historically that's been done a lot. You know, you look at what climate activists are doing today, they're attacking big oil companies. Yeah, you tell the story and you tell the actors who are involved in the story. So thinking about this specific poster, Teach the Truth About Britain's Past, can you say a bit about what this did? These were placed up just before Remembrance Day last year in various locations, not necessarily incredibly specific to, to the message, but what we used them for was to direct people to the work of teachers who were fighting back against this government guidance. So a lot of our work is sort of linking up with grassroots political groups who are working on some aspects of typically anti-racist work of one kind or another. So what we did with these was place these around and then use that as a mechanism to guiding people into this work that this group was doing. So in social media posts, posting our own opinions about Britain's past, its colonisation of the world and whatever, and saying, check out the work of these teachers fighting back. So it can be very useful for amplifying the work of those small grassroots groups who don't have the money to do actual advertising campaigns, right? So it's the same way that people use banners and placards and things at demonstrations, but in a more public forum, in a sort of unexpected forum for the public either passing by or seeing it online. Yeah, so the impact of it was that people see it, people share it, people reflect, go and look at the work of that group, hopefully. That group sort of feels the solidarity that people are looking at their work and showing their work. How many of these went up? How big was the campaign? With these, it wasn't too many. It was like five or six, I think. Sometimes we've done many more, like dozens. It depends a little bit on the technique and on the group in, group that we're working with. So some groups want to help make stuff. So then obviously if you've got lots of people making stuff, you can make stuff fast. And it depends a bit on the technique. If it's a stencil and it's just a spray paint thing, then it's obviously faster to do than this was hand lettered with a paintbrush and ink. It sort of depends on what's going on. Like at the moment it's incredibly busy, like often because there's a lot of terrible things happening at once. At the moment there's situation in Palestine, people are calling for actions around that. Situation in Colombia, people are calling for actions around that. There's sort of resource issues as well about making the things and putting them up. It's sort of cheap to do, but it's not no expense to do. You've got, like, the paper's probably the biggest expense of it. So, again, for grassroots groups, there's 
a limit. And how, as a collective, do you decide which which campaigns to or which um, causes to align yourselves with? It varies. Some people get in touch directly asking, can you do this for us? Sometimes with their own ready-made designs and stuff, literally like, can you make something that looks like this thing we've already designed? Sometimes people get in touch saying, oh, we want to talk about this, we don't really have an idea how we might talk about it. So then there can be a sort of back and forth discussing what it might look like and where it might go. And Some of it's just originated from us just seeing what's happening in the world almost as a way of processing it reflecting on it and commenting commenting on it it varies quite a lot but it's nice i think when it's driven by people who really don't have the resources to do this themselves or do any kind of creative labor themselves so it's nice to sort of provide that as a sort of service to a group and that being a form of solidarity like i'm with you in your struggle use this labor it can be a nice thing to do, and that, like that can be, because I think this, I've been thinking quite a lot over lockdown about sort of ego in art, and it's quite nice when a group gets in touch and they've done everything themselves, and you're literally colouring something in, essentially. <laughs> this came out of activism in the sense of doing a demonstration, you're like, we need a banner, we need some placards, whatever. So over time, like, I don't have art training or anything, so from friends who were who'd done more art stuff basically, sort of learned some skills over time and found, yeah, you know, might not be very good at drawing or whatever, but I can I can space letters out reasonably well. <laughs> so it's just sort of grown from that really, in a quite organic way. There's no plan as such. It's just like, okay, this is a thing that seems to be effective at the moment. Might not be effective forever but at the moment this seems to be a thing that's useful just over time just learn a few more skills like learn cheats really to like make stuff easier and be surprised almost by how the simplest things can be the most effective so just six words on a billboard can be in some ways way more effective than very long detailed you see some stuff which I'm not criticizing really but is very like visually complicated and whatever but this is sort of using advertising's techniques in terms of bold messaging for political ends what is the afterlife of a poster like this so usually the afterlife is they disappear into the great heaven of um, JC Decoe and clear channels <laughs> whatever they do with them when they you know the person comes and changes the posters or sometimes people complain about them because they're often critical of something the people who are supportive of that thing will sometimes complain about them then they'll go and take them down I wonder what they do with them their natural life cycle I think they change the adverts in the bus stops every two weeks typically so depending where you are in that time the thing can last a couple of weeks in the in the bus stop sometimes like with this one because it was about a specific day remembrance day once that day had passed and it was four days five days past and the thing is still up it sort of has little meaning anymore so occasionally then we'll take them down because then some people want them for events or whatever but yeah generally they disappear <laughs> into the ether which can be a bit painful and then but, and then digital space yeah though, and, and, yes. and, and and that kind of afterlife i yes. think is really intriguing yeah. because i think even with 
just a single banner, the afterlife of that object can just carry on reproducing yeah. in digital space. Yes, true. And much more so. I just posted something online the other day, which wasn't a new poster, it was an old poster about Israel's attacks on Gaza. And it's getting on for 10,000 likes on Instagram already. And this same thing when it was shared, I think in 2018, some like very big like YouTubers shared it and whatever, and it went very, very far like internationally. So yeah, these things have a life at the time online, not just in the UK, but all around the world. They keep coming round. I noticed at the Palestine protests the other day, not the London one, the Manchester one, some people had placards and the, the wording on the placards was the same as posters we'd put up two years ago. Word for word, exactly the same. And it's just like, I don't really know how that's happened exactly. And I've seen people at demonstrating at US airports waving placards with like, writing that's been on our posters. It's sort of incredible. And you never, it's very hard to find out how that's happened. It's sort of intriguing. But yeah, they do. They take on a life of their own, really. I mean, usually in a very positive way, occasionally not. Sometimes people will take the thing and digitally change it so that it says the opposite of what you're trying to say. So, like with Israel Palestine stuff, there's obviously lots of people who support the Israeli side who hate seeing posters around saying Israel's doing terrible things. So they've occasionally changed online, gone, changed it, posted it, even made real-life placards in the style of the way I spray paint stuff. It's a bit bizarre. <laughs> Have you ever had any serious legal comeback from, from it? There have been threats of legal comeback, but the legal situation is actually quite grey because it's actually less illegal in some ways than pasting things up on walls because there's no damage. You're not, you're not damaging anything as such. You're putting a poster in a place that's designed for a poster. So what's the crime, right? Maybe there's civil things around, like the advertising company saying it damages their reputation or something, but they seem to have no appetite at all for pursuing that avenue. And in fact, there's a published legal opinion where one of the advertising companies has gone to their lawyers to ask for an opinion on how they should handle ad hacking, advertising. And the lawyers have basically said, it's a grey area, just take them down as fast as you can. <laughs> that was the basic advice. It's just like, it's a minefield of free expression, like in a court, you know, where would it go? And do you want to set a precedent potentially that this is lawful? So they. They just send people to take stuff down. But yeah, there have been like threats from typically like right-wing or centrist politicians, mainly hollow <laughs> up to now. I wouldn't want to be caught putting up, because we've done like around the Kill the Bill protests recently, we did some Kill the Bill things, and obviously the police aren't keen on that stuff or the messaging around it. So it could be tricky, I think, if in the middle of putting one of those up, a policeman appeared at your shoulder. <laughs> it could be awkward, but that's never happened yet. Such would. That was Ben from Protest Stencil. If you'd like to find out more, you can find them on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. In the next episode, I'll be meeting Sophia Niazi of the Oomph Collective to discuss their work. In the meantime, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Graphic Interventions, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you're listening. Graphic Interventions is made by Harriet Atkinson and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. Thank you.